Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to Marvelous Disney with Aaron Adams, the podcast that discusses the most recent doings at one of the more dynamic divisions of the Walt Disney Company, which is, of course, Marvel Entertainment. This is entertainment writer Jim Hill and my co- uh-huh. it, Is that a cow? Did I leave the sound effects track on again? Oh, let me get that. I'm sorry. It won't happen again, I promise. Okay. Farm handles. Interesting. All right. Uh, My co-host, the amazing Aaron Adams, and I are recording this week's episode on Wednesday, September 7th, 2023. Just today, we got season two of uh, I Am Groot, though I guess technically it dropped on uh, yesterday, on Tuesday. And mm-hmm. you haven't managed to see it yet either, right? Oh, no, no, no. I was I was going to pretend uh, that I did see it. Uh, yeah, just uh, real quick, uh, to prove that I've seen it, mm-hmm. ask me, uh, what did Groot say in episode one? Uh, you know where this is going. I, All right, I, I, I am Groot. I, okay, I, I, well, I, I, we'll just skip the gag okay. and move on. No, no I, I haven't seen it. You know, well, you, you and I did the same thing. We had a choice between watching I Am Groot and Ahsoka. We watched Ahsoka. Yeah, so yeah. We'll be do better for next week, though. That said, though, we did get get a new trailer for Loki season two uh, that dropped on Monday this week and round and round and round we go. What, what did you think of the new trailer? I really enjoyed it. It was uh, frantic, gave us just a little more taste. Mm-hmm. And uh, oh, speaking of taste, did you happen to see the new McDonald's commercial that just aired that had a very quick glimpse of Loki in it mm-hmm. that featured all of the references that McDonald's has made in the films? over history that's the i think tied to the as featured meal or as ah, featured okay it. yeah yeah so uh this i just saw it today right before we started recording ad for mcdonald's mm-hmm. but the the twist of it was mm-hmm. every time you've ever seen mcdonald's in a movie or a tv show like in pulp fiction where they say you know in uh, france it's a ro- royale with cheese mm-hmm. that line's in there they even do the mcdowells from coming to america they do and how they're mm-hmm. ripping off mcdonald's mm-hmm. but at the very very end mm-hmm. it's loki standing across the counter from uh i can't remember the name of the female loki sylvie sylvie, is it? sylvie. yeah He's standing across from sylvie and she says can i help you with anything and then he just kind of does like a little bit of a sigh, like, here we go. And and then it, it ends right there. And so but it, and then it titles it flashes all of the titles of all of the movies and TV shows that were featured in that commercial. And then the very last one, it says Loki two, and then boof gone. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, really, really interesting that they weren't selling the cheeseburger. They were selling the the brand. Mm-hmm. And how it's been, you know, so prominent throughout history as a, a, a cultural icon. And I think that's really, really smart on their behalf. Sometimes it's better to sell the brand than the burger. This is true. This is true. But there's, back to the trailer now that, that you were talking about. What did you think? What, what uh, jumped out at you? What intrigued me is they very, very, very much leaned into the notion that Loki is time-slipping. Bouncing from the past to the present to the future. And man, it looks painful. That coupled with, I think it's the earlier trailer, 
that they sort of stress that you can't do that inside of the TVA, as in it should be physically impossible. We're, we're chronologically locked down. And, and by the way, when they use the term Loki is time slipping, what intrigued me is that, do you know Kurt Vonnegut's uh, Slaughterhouse-Five? I'm familiar with the title, but not the story. Okay, Go ahead. Okay, well, it, it actually opens with, listen, Billy Pilgrim has become unstuck in time. And so I just, I wonder, it's like, wow, are there Vonnegut fans on, you know, the Loki writing staff? Because if there are, I am waiting for the reference to the Ramjack Corporation. Are you familiar with? with yep. Okay. We, we've, we've referenced Ramjack a time or two. Yeah. That, that, well, they're the multinational corporation, that, according to Kurt Vonnegut, that, that at its height owned 19% of America. And remember that reference, folks. We're going to talk about giant corporations owning too much stuff in a moment. But Well, do we acknowledge here at any point, uh, okay, let's say uh, to avoid spoilers, Spoilers. Mm -hmm. This is not a spoiler territory. This is speculation territory. Mm -hmm. In the comics, Kang's character goes back in time and we get this. Uh, I can't remember. Was it was a Victor Timely. Mm -hmm. And so he goes back in time so that he can like, uh, was it steal and, and create inventions ahead of time? So that way, by the time he gets to the Avengers, he was all prepped and ready with all this technology because he, he had a head start by going back in time, so to speak. Mm -hmm. But he built a corporation that is kind of like the Ramjack Corporation. Ooh. You know, it, it had this big, huge industrial complex kind of thing behind it. Mm -hmm. And so I just kind of wonder, you know, we do have the timely character back in time. Mm -hmm. We've we've seen that scene. Yeah. So I, I just kind of wonder, is that arc going to have a similar pattern to it? And will you get your Ramjack, in fact? I wonder. Through, I wonder. through Kang himself. Okay. Yeah. Well, all right. We will discuss all of this in a moment. First, the news. And as always, news portion of Marvelous Disney is brought to you by our newest sponsor, which is Touring Plan's own travel agency. And if you're thinking of heading down to Walt Disney World in the not-so-distant future, why not give these obviously knowledgeable folks a, a chance to book your next vac vacation package to that resort and if you're nice they may even toss in a subscription to touring plans for free seriously though if you're planning on visiting central florida anytime soon touring plans own travel agency is the smartest way to go please check them out at touringplans.com backslash travel okay again we were just talking about ramjack which reminded me of something i saw over this past weekend so it's been five months since the Writers Guild of America, you know, they, they began striking back on May 2nd. Actors strike got going 10 weeks after that, July 14th of this year. So we are, it's now roughly three months since uh, the actors went out. And so the question now is, when are these two strikes going to end? And Phil Rosenthal, which... Aaron, you were mentioning that that you're a fan of what is this show again? I get it. Somebody feed Phil. Yes, where he travels the world and eats food and makes friends because he's a joy. He's just a joy. He is. And and by the way, Phil is also the talented gentleman behind the long running sitcom uh, Everybody Loves Raymond. And just this past weekend, Phil Rosenthal was on KTLA. And Sam Rubin, who's a host there at that channel, asked Phil what he thought about the SAG after and the WGA strike. And and he uh, Sam asked Phil when he thought it would end. And here's what Rosen said that, that kind of scared the hell out of me. 
I've spoken with people who are heading up this thing, who are dealing directly with these negotiations, and they don't know when it will end. What makes this writer's strike different than the one back in 1988 and the one back in 2007 is back then the writers were dealing with the men who actually ran these studios. And these days, the writers and the actors are dealing with the corporations that now own those studios. And these giant conglomerates, they have their entertainment divisions almost as an afterthought. These giant conglomerates... They're in lots of other businesses. So if their entertainment division went away, they would be fine. So, so they don't care. And that's the real difference this time around. This strike is not about studios and networks and writers and actors. It's about corporate America versus the worker. And, and more importantly, corporate greed. Mm-hmm. And so long story short, this is all about the ramjacks of the world deciding if they're going to sit down with the writers and the actors. And have you heard the latest development about how the, the actors and the writers have decided that they're going to force these conglomerates' hands? They're going to expand the strikeout to include video games? Oh, nice. This is where it might actually start to hurt, because globally last year... The video game industry made $183 billion, with $93 billion of that just coming from mobile games. Now, on the other hand, Hollywood last year made just $5.9 billion. So we're talking, you know, multiple multiples of, you know, with the notion of if we, we bring in video gaming and that revenue stream and can somehow gum that up these corporations will now have to sit down with us because that's just such a huge revenue stream. They can't afford to ignore us because that's the other thing that I'm hearing over and over again now is the effect of these companies are planning to have the strike continue to at least November of December of this year, maybe even Mm -hmm. further out. In fact, the giveaway for this is, I don't know if you saw the news just in the past week, about how Disney has been changing release dates for various Marvel theatrical releases and limited series for Disney+. Plus, But this most recent set of date changes really kind of frightened people. I mean, don't get me wrong, Loki uh, Season 2 still going to come out on October 6th. The Marvels is still going to come out on November 10th. But virtually everything after that got pushed back not just by weeks, but in sometimes months. Take, for example, second season of the animated series Marvel What If. That was actually supposed to, there's supposed to be some overlap between tail end of Loki and the beginning of this animated series. So that would have debuted in, in November. It's now been pushed back to the holidays, 2023, which translation, December. Echo, on the other hand, All of the episodes of this series were supposed to drop on November 29th of this year. Now that's been undated, and all I'm hearing is January of next year. Uh, The the X-Men animated series, uh, supposed to debut again early this year, now has been pushed out as far as fall of 2024. And uh, the uh, WandaVision spinoff, the the Agatha the, the Darkhold Diaries, that was supposed to be first quarter 
of 2024. It's now been repositioned to launch in late September or October of next year and is supposed to be a Halloween streaming event. But we've been talking about how Disney, because of financial concerns, has been spreading out its Marvel product. But this is different, Aaron. This is literally looking down the pike and realizing we aren't making anything, you know, and we're going to need to spread this stuff out as far as we can. So, you know, that's why so many of these things have literally been pushed a year out to 2024. Do you think it would also explain why some of these shows have been that are have been made specifically for Disney Plus have shown up on ABC to kind of buffer and create content because they know that they're going to have a huge gap coming? Oh, yeah. Also, do you think Samuel L. Jackson had in his contract for his Disney Plus show Secret Invasion that he would get an extra cent if it were to appear on another network, like maybe ABC. Hmm. Do you think that was in his contract, or is that money that they're fighting for right now? It's like, I know that a lot of it's AI and digital de-aging, and we want to use your likeness forever and ever, is what the studios want. And uh, the actors are like, no, we don't want that. You but, know, uh, I, d- I don't have, honestly, I don't have any insight uh, to that effect. I, I would honestly be surprised given how quickly for example ms marvel uh showed up on abc remember that programming right, yeah. back in august i mean especially if things dry up the way they seem to be drying up i just can't see bob Iger going uh aman Vellani, mm-hmm. come here we, we're gonna go uh put the show that you did so good in over here so here's an extra check mm-hmm. To just say thank you because we're doing the extra thing, so we got to pay you more. I don't see them doing that voluntarily. I just see them going, yeah, put it over on ABC, and and then we'll deal with you know the people that speak up. We'll deal with them one at a time with a baseball bat as they come in the door. Let me make some calls and see what the language is there. I, I mean, mind you, this probably means reaching out to talent agencies rather than individual actors or studios. But yeah, l- let me do some doing digging there. Speaking of actors. The folks on Daredevil uh, Born Again, remember, you know, they were a third of the way in to Mm -hmm. shooting, you know, those 18 episodes. And basically, the word that came down this week is these folks were told, stand by, we're going to pick up again. And then it's like, word came down, we're on hold indefinitely. We don't, we just do not know at this point when we're going to regroup. And so... Worth noting here that, again, we were just talking about Agatha, the, the Darkhold Diaries. Given that so many members of the WandaVision cast have showed up in Agatha, Darkhold Diaries, and, and before we, we move past that, did you notice this now has a third title? Well, the, you know, that's hard. It's hard to be excited about a thing you can't remember the name of because you changed it three times. <laughs> well, okay. Right? Oh, this is true. And by the way, first name for this thing was Agatha House of Harkness. Then we got Agatha Coven of Chaos, which I really liked. And now Darkhold Diaries. They're going for the alliteration hardcore on all of them, aren't they? I guess so. House of Harkness, mm-hmm. H&H, Coven of Chaos, C&C, yeah. Darkhold Diaries, mm-hmm. D&D. Yeah, yeah, well, again, Peter Parker, yeah. that kind of the Marvel way. But anyway, with so many of the WandaVision cast members coming back for Agatha Darkhold Diaries, the question is, will Elizabeth Olsen be showing up in this limited series? And to be honest, 
it's kind of hard to say. Olson, in uh, an interview she did with the Times of London, she said, for the last four years, my output has been Marvel. It's not that I don't want to be associated with just one character, but I really feel like I need to do other parts for balance. I, I need other characters in my life. There's no career longevity in playing just one character. And when she got asked by Variety, did she miss playing Wanda? And she said, no, I don't. I mean, it, it's been almost 10 years of playing her, and I've loved it. And I, I think the reason that I'm not calling Kevin Feige every day with ideas is because I'm proud of what we were able to do. I think that WandaVision was a, a surprising opportunity. And if someone were to tell me I, I'm fired from Marvel movies, I would be proud of what we made. And now... I'm just trying to figure out how to do other movies and other characters. So when I look back at my overall career, it's not won't be about this one Marvel character. So, okay, that to me says somebody has moved on. But yet this March at South by Southwest, she got interviewed, uh, Elizabeth, by uh, Deadline and was asked flat out, are you returning for uh, the WandaVision spinoff, which at this time was was still Agatha Coven of Chaos. And Olsen said, I think I'll be back. So I don't know what to do here. Well, I mean, it's kind of like when Harrison Ford does Indiana Jones and it's like mm -hmm. The Last Crusade. That title had a pretty final feel because it had the word last in it. We were used to trilogies back in those days. And so it felt nice and wrapped up. And Indiana Jones and Harrison Ford, and he's like, I've got other characters to play. I'm in the prime of my life. I need to say goodbye to Mr. Indiana Jones. And then he did, for a bit. Mm -hmm. And then he went, hey, you know what was fun? That indie guy. I like that. Let's go back and do that one more time. And he did. Didn't do as good, but he had a good time doing it. And he's like, you know what? That was the, the right time to say goodbye to Indiana Jones once and for all. I salute you, Mr. Jones. And he put him on the shelf for a little bit. And a few years later, guess what happened? Hey, remember that, Indy? That was a lot of fun. One more time. What do you say, guys? One more time for the road. And they well, I, so well. What's kind of intriguing about this is if you remember how you know the Scarlet Witch ended up at the end of Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness, you know that seemed fairly definitive. Crushed under a, a collapsing. No, it was uh, it was a temple dedicated to her. You survive uh, your own temple that's been dedicated oh, to you. Survive that. Oh, that, it that, just I seems wrong. Is, is that something you can write into the lease? Yeah, yeah, totally. It's it's a deity okay. clause. Okay, got it, got it. Because that that's the thing. I I heard from multiple sources to the effect of when we look ahead to Kang Dynasty and Avengers Secret Wars that Scarlet Witch will be back on the canvas and not necessarily as a villain. Sure. Though, now speaking of uh, of those two films, and we've got. The Marvels coming up on November 10th. Supposedly, The Marvels plays a key role in setting up the storyline of Avengers, the Kang Dynasty, and the Avengers Secret Wars. And it all supposedly keys off of that bangle that Kamala Khan was sent by her grandmother in the, uh, the Ms. Marvel. Hmm series so slight spoilers ahead I, Aaron if you, you feel the need you can fire up the klaxon here here's what uh, was revealed in an interview with Total Film Magazine 
the villain of the Marvels, a, a character called Dar Ben, will acquire the sister piece to what uh, Kamala owns. And that when these two are paired with just the right power source, they, they supposedly have the potential to force a temporary hole in space and time, which can lead to somewhere else. And, and by the way, this info comes from the Marvel's producer, Mary Livinos. She goes on to say that this ability to blow that whole temporary hole in time and space to lead to somewhere else will definitely lead to plentiful opportunities in the future of the MCU. So now we get a, a time-hopping little youngster that just gets to blip in and out of wherever she wants. doesn't matter what movie you're watching, Kamala Khan. Bing! Hey, what's going on? I've got these bangles. They're cool. Blink! Gone. Now, what's interesting is that Nia DaCosta, who is the, the director of the Marvels, got asked, so what are you setting up here? Do you, do, you, know, you, you introduce this idea in your movie. How does it then, in fact, pay off? in either the Kang Dynasty or Secret Wars. And said, that's a question for Kevin Feige. I have a lot of thoughts, but I actually have no idea what they're going to do in the Avengers movies. I do know that those guys uh, who are doing that watch the movies, see what we're doing, and I have things I really want to have happen, but I'm not sure. I'm surprised you said that much. Well, so, I'm surprised they um, just don't go. Nia DaCosta, director, 74123, sir. And just, just shout their rank and, and number. And I will not answer any questions, no matter what torture you put me under. I will not tell you about the Marvels. Well, toward that end, people saying things that you don't expect them to say. There was a an absolutely great story that dropped today from CNBC, uh, Alex Sherman wrote it. And when we get back from our break here, we're going to share a tiny excerpt of this, which, which shines an awfully bright spotlight on what happened back in 2021 when Scarlett Johansson sued the Mouse House in order to get her fair share of, of those Black Widow ticket sales. And oh, nobody comes out looking good after this. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. We were just talking about season two of Loki. I wanted to let our Marvel fans who love the Disney theme parks know that the Avengers Power the Night drone show that was presented at Walt Disney Studios Park in Paris, they began a second season of that as well. It's begun running at that park and they've tricked it up a little bit. It's still mostly a projection show on the side of that park's Tower of Terror building. But the Spider-Man scene in that film that did, or excuse me, in that theme park nighttime show mm -hmm. that got such a strong reaction, they buffed it out a little bit. They positioned it a little bit better in the show. So if anybody gets the chance to see that live and in person and wants to chat with Aaron and I, feel free to reach out. 
Also, in that very same park on their Avengers campus, they have their retooled version of Rock and Roller Coaster, Avengers Assemble Flight Force. And over the past few months, that's been undergoing sort of an improvement with some new lighting effects and, and that sort of thing. And so I just want to give folks a heads up that it's closed f as part of that project for the next week or so, but should reopen shortly. And if uh, we have folks who make their way over to Disneyland Paris who want to talk about, you know, how the new version compares to the old version of Avengers Assemble Flight Force. We'd love to hear from you. But anyway, speaking of rides, we were just talking about Alex Sherman's story for CNBC, and the actual title of this article is Disney's Wildest Ride, Iger Chapek and the Making of an Epic Succession Mess. And this is the very first story of size about what actually went on behind the scenes at Disney out ahead of Bob Chapek, who was the gentleman who succeeded Bob Iger as, mm -hmm. as CEO of the Disney company, about what happened prior to him being shown the door in November of last year. And it feels like the early draft of what's going to be an excellent book. But today, what I did is I grabbed the chunk of this article that deals mostly with the Black Widow Scarlett Johansson situation. And because nobody's actually popped the hood on this. You know, all we knew is that Scarlett sued Disney. And then later, Disney, after sort of huffing and puffing, opted to settle with Scarlett. And not only that, uh, agreed to produce her, her Tower of Terror movie. But the world was beginning to get vaccinated and they were turning to theme parks, but they weren't necessarily going back to theaters in high of, high of numbers. So in March of 2021, Bob Chapek made the decision to launch Black Widow as a premium additional price item on Disney+. Plus but also in theaters on the same day, on July 9th of, again, 2021. But the problem was that her compensation deal with Disney was based on what the film would earn over its theatrical release. And, and again, they were going to count the revenues that came in both uh, domestically and internationally for four months. And but, but here's the thing. Her contract was negotiated before there was a COVID. And so this sort of scenario where it was going to go out on Disney Plus is a, a premium offering that you'd, you'd pay extra for and in theaters wasn't reflected in the deal. And, and her agent, when he heard about this, reached out to Disney and was like, look, there's got to be a way to compensate this because Scarlett put together this deal that, that she would get a, a good chunk of what this film did domestically and did overseas, and if it, if it's not going to go out into the number of, of theaters or, or get the four month long theatrical run worldwide that we talked about, you know, there's got to be some sort of compensation here. And he warned Disney that Scarlett would be forced to sue the company if they didn't make good. And when Bob Iger handed off the Walt Disney Company to Bob Chapek, and, and this would have been March of 2020 or thereabouts, just as COVID is, is rearing its ugly head worldwide. But the notion was, Bob's going to run the company. But Iger was, I'm going to stay on creatively for the next 18 months. 
Bob's going to take care of the movies. Bob's going to take care of television. And so Chapek wasn't really happy about this. In fact, Chapek really came to resent the fact that Iger was still hanging on to power and, you know, wouldn't let him make decisions about certain things. So Chapek at this point, it's like, look, okay, you're in charge of movies. You be in charge of movies. You handle the situation with Scarlett Johansson and Black Widow and, and her, her agents. And Iger, at that point, it's like, no, you know, you want to be CEO of the, the Walt Disney Company? You have to deal with this. And so who's going to take control over what is potentially going to be a really ugly situation? And, and at this point, Chapek and Iger at Disney are just not talking to one another. And so come July, it's like we have to do something. And so they end up having this Zoom meeting with 20 different executives. And Iger and Chapek aren't talking to one another. So they're kind of hanging back in this meeting. And Iger later described this Zoom meeting as amateur hour, a meeting run by children, uh, with all sorts of people weighing in about how the company should respond, but nobody making the adult decision. And so in the end, what was decided is they'd put out a really aggressive public statement with language to the effect that it would accuse Scarlett Johansson of a callous disregard for the horrific and prolonged global effects of the COVID-19 pandemic and pointing out to the public, look, we already paid her $20 million to appear in this movie. The fact that she wants even more money, this is all about greed. What they didn't anticipate was that when they released this statement, Hollywood, almost as a whole, immediately turned on Disney, you know, to the effect of you're doing this because she's a woman. You paid Robert Downey this sort of money, and, you know, you're now holding back because she's a woman. And then suddenly Disney is dealing with a so much bigger PR problem. And Iger, who had basically sat back and let it happen, immediately begins bad-mouthing Chapek to the effect of, well, you know, this is, this is what happens. He, he doesn't have experience dealing with talent. And Chapek immediately looks at, at what's going on and realizes that I, I need to turn this around. And what particularly infuriated him is Iger at this point reaches out to Chapek and says, you should make a public apology. And Chapek refused because it's like, you could have told me not to do this, you know, and more to the point, you're the one, the creative one. You were supposed to handle this. Iger never apologized for it. But Chapek, at this point, it's just like, all right, what's it going to take to make this go away? And what it's going to take to make this go away is they basically had to pay Scarlett Johansson double what she was asking. And I think, Aaron, you were the one who, back in the day when we were talking about this in real time, you know, when they put the cherry on top of the Sunday, it's like, and we want you to produce the Tower of Terror movie. You know, if you, you will just issue a statement that I am happy with the Disney company. It's like, I am thrilled. This is our kiss and makeup moment. Yeah. So yeah. recently uh, in in kind of quasi related money news mm -hmm. with Disney, did you see that they mm -hmm. had pulled their content from Spectrum 
cable. Yeah. And they were in a dispute over how much money that they were going to get for their programming. And then I think it was like the, the day of or the day before, like a big, you know, like the preseason or the season starting of oh, yeah. uh, football or, yeah. or not football, but uh, like college. I don't know. Uh, mm-hmm. A sport, whatever sport stick ball thing they mm-hmm. were playing, because everyone was up, upset. They're like, I want to watch my game. And mm-hmm. uh, I got Spectrum, and Disney's response was, you know, you can just uh, subscribe to Hulu or ESPN, get one of our apps, and problem solved. Voila. That's what's kind of intriguing, running on a parallel track to what's going on with the writer's strike and the actors. This is going on in that same window of time, that the Charter and Disney are having these conversations. Mm. And the very solution that they just suggested, because, you know, you can get the app. You can get this, you know, if, if you go this way. Yeah, if you make your content rare and, and only have it available in one place, it's like you're, you're kind of trading money. It's like how much were they making over on the Spectrum deal versus how much are they going to make by forcing all of those subscribers by denying the content there? How much are they going to make by them now subscribing to the app at like, you know, seven bucks a month or whatever? No, that's, uh, I mean, that's the thing, that, that there is a seismic thing going on in the entertainment world right now. And it's, uh, I think Bill Maher, uh, just in the past week, was talking about how the writers are working under a a, a false apprehension, you know, that they think that because they write for a living, they're owed a career. And it's like, no, no, you, you write at the pleasure of these giant corporations. And this week in particular, with so many of these stories, you know, and talking with sources and and getting the constant refrain when I ask a question, well, that's kind of above my pay grade. And so much of what's going on right now is people in corner offices. And I, I wish I had better news, folks, but it does look like the strike will continue and it's going to impact what you're going to be able to see in theaters and on your subscription streaming services. And- I think at some point that it's going to do more self-harm, like financially, they're going to lose money because they don't have content. They might lose subscribers as a result. They might mm-hmm. lose viewers on terrestrial television. They're going to, in the end, all of this lack of content is going to end up damaging them later on at a much higher cost than what it would have been to just pay these people at a, at a fair rate and not ask for such outrageous uh, claims of I'm going to own your likeness for all of eternity. I I forget who I was talking with about this, but they were pointing out that streaming, what happened when the pandemic happened is that five years of, you know, what it would have taken for streaming to get adopted in as many homes as as it did, that all happened inside of like six months because we were all trapped in our homes. Toward that end, the thinking is this one-two punch of, you know, Disney with Charter, what's going on with the writers, what's going on with the actors, and this most recent wrinkle of the, okay, let's expand the strike into video gaming. That's $183 billion versus the $5.9 billion that Hollywood made. You know, I just, I wonder where we're going to be in six months, because I've heard from a number of folks, and I think I mentioned this earlier on the show, that there's a fear that we're going to lose one of the three legacy television networks because of this. Things are 
that desperate behind the scenes that an ABC or a CBS or an NBC is going to go down and not come back up. Don't you think it's about time? <sighs> I mean, I, I've been working in media for my entire you know lifetime, so mm-hmm. I don't want to see it. Uh, you know, people lose their jobs. That's not the goal. Mm -hmm. But sometimes things have to be smashed to a point of you can't put it back together anymore so that you must build something new. You can't keep fixing sometimes, you know, a building that has a bad foundation and sometimes you just can't restore it. You got to bulldoze it and you got to build a new thing there. I get that. But I was just dumb lucky in the late 1990s that I got the opportunity to start writing for the web. I I have so many colleagues who who worked in print, Mm -hmm. who did great work for newspapers, who did great work for for magazines. I'm just the lucky bastard who was in the right place at the right time, who got invited to work in the web and, you know, found a home. And it just... For me, the notion of losing one of the the terrestrial giants to see a, a an ABC or CBS or an AB, uh, NBC go down. Well, see, there. This is where I'm looking at it differently. Is mm-hmm. you've see so you've got like the NBC, which is like the national, the one stick. But think about all the syndicates, all of the stations across the country who are licensing. Mm-hmm. From NBC. And when NBC collapses, all of a sudden you've got a massive void there on that stick. And they can't get CBS because the station across town is licensed to CBS. And they can't get ABC because the other station across town has got ABC. So what do they got? They got Jack. And they'll have to create something new. And they'll have to do it maybe locally. And new talent will find a way to, you know, like how, you know, old trees die so new ones can get the light and grow. That's the way that I'm looking at this. The same way that, like, there is a, a radio company that owns 38% of the broadcast com- uh, radio stations in America. And they are so over leveraged with debt that I just want them to teeter and crash because all of the mom and pops can buy those stations individually at, you know, pennies on the dollar. And new talent that's not restricted by corporate rules and greed will suddenly come back. And what will happen is because, you know, corporate is so strict and structured that the the people that want to get attention will be wild and crazy and creative and do things that you haven't heard before or, you know, things that are of interest and different and new. And so that's what I look forward to is if the big, huge figurehead dies, there's all of these little sticks all across America that are going to need to fill a hole. And the only way they can do it is with local talent looking for their way into the sunshine. And that's their, that's their gap. Oh God. I hope you're right. That's new writers, new actors all across the country, new jobs. I I think it's, it's a beautiful thing. Go ahead. Okay. Well, but, but at the same time, you're, what you're asking is you want Ramjack to die. Yeah, Yeah. Exactly. The corporation and the and the corporation dies and the people thrive. Where is the gloom in that scenario? Tell me. Yeah. Ramjack's got a teeter like a, a big old plate of China, fine China smash mm-hmm. where it cannot, you know, that little uh, oriental process where they take the gold and glue it back together. Got to be smashed so bad that it's dust and you can't do that shit no more. And then you go, all right, well, we got to start with something new. That's the way it's got to go. 
Okay, well, to finish up with another Kurt Vonnegut quote that I love, and so it goes. This is why we have, you know, why I do this show with Aaron, these sorts of insights. And the other thing, to be honest, if you enjoy Aaron's insights, you really should be paying attention to his uh, Patreon project, 32nd Street. Toward that end, Aaron, what... what what are you you two talking about this week? Uh, we're just now publishing a show that's all about weight loss fads, diets, oh. pills, and devices. Uh, <laughs> one thing that I came across that I love dearly is it seems that the, the weight loss uh, devices involve a device that vibrates at various speeds with a red LED light. Nobody can tell us what the red LED light does, but everybody claims that it will make the fat go away somehow. I guess it's photosensitive and it hides. I don't, I don't understand it, but everybody is just the red LED technology. And I'm like, that's some Star Trek shit right there. Red LEDs, get the hell out of here. Wow. Okay. I got to just sit down with your red LEDs. Oh, my God. Where'd you get oh. that? <laughs> Crazy technology. Right. Anyway. That, that, that sounds fun. Yep. All right. Uh, definitely check out that episode. of our, and, and also, something else worth noting, Aaron is on social media and posts some fun stuff there. Can you tell the nice folks where to find you? Yeah. If you check me out on Twitter real quick over at uh at Azaprod, A-Z-A-P-R-O-D. I just posted a picture of uh, a, a cup of yogurt that looks like the Joker, and the label is, why so cereal? Oh. You just have to look at it. You'll get it when you see the strawberry mouth and the blueberry eyes and the cereal hair and the, and the white yogurt. It just looks like a cup of the Joker. That sounds kind of weird. Anyway. That sounds kind of weird. Okay. I am also on social media. In fact, I've uh, been tweeting up a storm. Uh, if you're allowed to say anything Twitter related on X anymore. Uh, likewise, we're over on Instagram uh, as Jim Hill Media and on Facebook as Jim Hill Media News. Also, want to remind you that we have a couple of other podcasts here you might want to check out. We have Disney Dish that I do with Len Testa. We have Fine Tuning that I do with Drew Taylor, who, by the way, has his own really great, worth checking out podcast that he does with Charles Hoods, and that is Light the Fuse, the official. Mission Impossible podcast. Uh, Brian Gunn and I will be sitting down and doing a new Looking at Lucasfilm, where I will be sharing the real reason Chewbacca did not get a medal at the end of New Hope. I, I, and I have this from a, a copy of the official Star Wars newsletter circa 1978. So, I bet uh, it's the same reason that Drax won't wear a jetpack, because he's got sensitive nipples. Oh, Okay. It's just my guess. I don't know. We're learning so much today. Um, All right. Oh, I also want to remind you folks uh, about our our other project. Uh, Myself and Aaron and Len Testa, along with uh, Jim Shul, have been working on for almost two years at this point. Disney Unpacked uh, is our first ever video series. And... Uh, Jim Shul, for for those of you who don't know, uh, spent 30 plus years working at Walt Disney Imagineering and had comes to the table with all sorts of amazing stories about some of your favorite theme park attractions, things like Rock and Roller Coaster or Mater's Junkyard Jamboree, but then backs it up with over 100,000 images. I mean, it's it's pretty wild, folks. Let's see. Beyond that, if you can head over to Apple Podcasts and rate and review, well, not just the show you're listening to right now, Marvelous Disney, but also 32nd Street, uh, that would be very helpful. And if you really, really, really like what you heard here, if you want to head over to Bandcamp and subscribe, that would be helpful. 
And I think that's going to do it. So, uh, Aaron and I, thank you for listening, and we'll be back soon.